Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. We are continuing our worship service uh, where we left off. Again, it is 3-13-2022, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Satan has some influence in this world. We should not be surprised at his sense we know that he is the ruler of the world. And as a ruler, he's been able to exercise some influence in the world. Believers in Christ can also be influenced by satanic thinking. While we cannot be involved by Satan, he still attempts to assault us by urging us to depart from, from truth. God is in control and owns us. But we know that we don't have to worry about Satan bringing us back into the kingdom of darkness anymore. Even though when we were redeemed as two babes, we were not innocent. Our minds are filled with darkness, evil, and false reality. Satanic thinking is already in us when we are saved. Perhaps said, Peter says, Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, we can't drink pure spiritual milk so that it may grow in your salvation. What is does the curve cure for a mind filled with darkness? It is beginning to, uh, it is beginning a regiment of truth. Therefore, milk for the newborn baby. Many think they must be, they must behave, or else give in to Satan's impatience. It is just the opposite. We start out filled with satanic thinking, and we must rid ourselves of this darkness. If we do not adopt a regiment of milk, and then eventually press on to the need, we will surely not be equipped to take our place in the battle. Sure, we all we all started this way. We all deal with darkness and when we're saved, even though we're in the gospel, we have to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by our pastor teacher can teach you of the word. And then we must rid ourselves of all this knowledge that we had before. It may take some time, but evidently, if you're positive, it will get here. So we do know Satan cannot indwell believers. He only controls unbelievers. But we can be influenced once we start not taking it by the doctrine. And we start listening to what people tell us as the world teaches us. So it is true that we are in this world. We should not be able adapt as well because we all as believers know this is not our home. This is like it out the thought of the week. So we should have our prayer given to us by prayer. Thank you, Dave. Uh, at this time, I'd like to um, uh, petition uh, anyone in need of special prayer. I need it. This is, I certainly need it. Uh, also, well, hold on. Before, before you continue, just, I just want to uh, bring out uh, that Corinne is looking for, uh, she's going to be moving, and they're going to be making a lot of decisions, asking for prayer for Cliff and Corinne. Let's take this to the throne of grace. Thanking your heavenly Father, Lord, for your exceedingly and abundant blessings, Lord, that you have bestowed upon us this very day uh, in providing health and strength that sustains us from day to day and keeps us. Thank you, heavenly Father, for this opportunity to worship by which we are able to come together and be called by the word of truth and the spirit to continually um, go forward. Give us the wisdom and love patience as we continue in the word of truth 
that your word might be illuminated and we might understand more and more in your precious word. Praying, Lord, for our pastor and all the families associated uh, for their health, Lord, and their well-being, that you would continually watch over and keep us in health. As we know in the world, many things are going on in the world. Praying for the citizens of Ukraine and those who in Ukraine who call themselves, who are Christians, who are called by your name, Lord, uh, asking that you watch over and bless them as they are under the siege of war and death and all the things that are associated with death. Watch over and keep them, Lord, as they go for this trial. Asking, Lord, that Cliff and Corinne and their families, Lord, as they make decisions regarding their future, Lord, that you would go forth, guide them and lead them and direct their paths as they make these very important decisions. Thanking you, Father, for all these blessings. In Christ's loving name, we pray. Thanking you, Lord, for this opportunity to worship. In Christ's name, amen. 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 Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Fred. We appreciate that. Um, we are moving forward uh, in our worship service. We're in um, John 17, 10. All I have is yours, and all you have <clears throat> is mine. And glory has come to me through them. And your notes often, when I think about the magnitude of God, it reminds me of the minuteness of man. This verse has always captured my attention. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? That's Psalm 8, 4. In every area, man is not in the same ballpark as God. I often wonder, just like the psalmist, why does God want to have fellowship with us? I can certainly tell you what is attractive about God, but what does God see as attractive in man. I'm not sure it is good to go on thinking like this. What I must understand is that we are made in the image of God. And as we understand more about the Father's plan, we can see how that it can be significant. We can see why the creation of man is necessary and satisfies the eternal purpose of God. So uh, we covered quite a lot here. This is our third swing at this verse, which uh, there is a lot here. We've discussed mutual possession. All I have is yours. All you have is mine. We discussed some of the implications of that. Um, and we got all the way down to point number two, where it says, and glory has come to me through them. So there's a lot to discuss here. Uh, and we tried to, to tackle the first point, glory has come to me. We see the same glory we saw in verse 5. Notice that Jesus sees the glory gained through the Father's plan even before he has completed the work. So that tells us, it gives us a glimpse into eternity past where before there was creation, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were planning. What would creation be? Creation is not an exercise of God's omnipotence. Creation is a plan that the Father has to bring many sons into glory and how he would do it. And obviously there are other questions around that, like why? What does he want? Who are these sons? What does he want with them? So we, we could ask all those questions, and but initially, that is the thought: bringing many sons that we might be we were predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So we covered all of that. Uh, a lot of this, we can't really speak of much because we have a lot to cover. But one of the things I want to just say is about the boldness. We have confidence and boldness in this plan. Once we understand what God has done, he has revealed um, 
the innermost thoughts of his heart, we get to see what they are. He has revealed them to us. He hid them from Israel and from past generations and from angels, but he has revealed this to us. So now that we know this and we are confident in knowing these things, it says that we are bold about it. And we talked about why it's important for us to have this boldness because we understand. If we, if we understand, if we don't understand, then we shouldn't uh, take that position. But if we do understand, then it's okay. Paul was bold and he's saying we can be bold too about who we are in Christ. I think it, it, it warrants uh, for us. In fact, it is the plan that we are heralds of this mystery, of what God has hidden and now revealed. We are supposed to go out and tell the world. They may not believe us, they may hate us and persecute us, and we may have to suffer with Christ, but yes, that is what God has uh, uh, equipped us with and to do going forward. So we, we covered a lot of this, I just wanted to be be sure that we understood that. Uh, but moving forward, I think we got down to point G. That's where I think we were. And point G says, through them. So, and here, and glory has come to me through them. So we started looking at this point. And we, I'd say, let's take our time with this and let, let's allow this to be a, the part of the study that we haven't really focused on. Through the disciples, is point G, uh, through the establishment of the church, now, which is his body, the fullness of him, that's Ephesians 1, 23. And of course, this refers to us, by extension, John 17, 20 through 21. Now, when it says, he's talking to the disciples and he lays all this out, and he says, you know, I've given them the words you told me. They believed them, and now we know. So we know we know we're talking about the establishment of the church. But that's like the foundation. The disciples are in the foundation, who would later become the apostles to the church. And so, as we look at that, we realize that um, the foundation isn't the only thing he's referring to. He's also talking about us by extension, John 17, 20. He says, I'm not just talking to them alone, but those also who believe in me through their message. So that's John 17, 20. So when we, we see that that is what, where he's going, we know that whatever he was saying to them earlier in those earlier verses where people, we have a sign to, oh yeah, he's talking to the disciples. But he's not only talking to the disciples. He's talking about the disciples are the foundation of the church. So he's talking to the whole church. So, he, you know, when I think about that, I think just the foundation is not enough. You have to continue to build. And imagine if God stopped at the foundation. And, and that's it. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen a building that... They built the foundation, they had all this, to, you know, you said, well, what's going up over there? What are they building? And you, you're wondering, and then for a long time it just stays. And then you see weeds growing up all around it, and you're like, what happened? I thought there was, there was going to be a building here. I thought there was gonna, they were going to build something. And for whatever reason, maybe they ran out of money. That's the first thought. <laughs> so, but whatever reason, the building doesn't get built. I'm thinking of a building in my mind right now that I'm not even going to say where it was, but for a long time, I just thought, well, they have abandoned this project. But, but the thought is, when the foundation, when you have the foundation, you have to follow through with the building. And this is what happens in... Um, in the church, God laid the foundation, and you can bet that he's going to finish this. You are a part of this. I am a part of this. He's certainly going to bring it to completion. 
Well, it's not just about them. That's what verse 20 says. It's about us. It's what? <clears throat> so, here we go. So, we, he says, glory has come to me, Christ says, through them. And I posed the question last week about, well, how in the world can Christ get glory because of us? It's not talking just about salvation here, obviously, because the disciples are already saved and He's not just talking about, he's talking about the Father's eternal plan, which he hid in himself. It goes way beyond salvation. But glory has come to me, Christ saying. And so that's the point eight. What do we have to do with Christ receiving glory? And I say much. Because he says it. Even if, even if I thought of it, I said, man, I, Christ, Christ is going to be glorified because of me. No, Christ said it. In this verse. So now it's something for us to think about. So, glory has come to me, Christ says, through them. That, that's to say that Christ's glory, or being fully glorified, depends on us. Without us, the Father cannot bring those many sons into glory. Well, we're those sons. Well, it makes sense that... <laughs> When you logically think about it, he cannot conform us to the image of his son. Romans 8, 29. The church is according to his eternal purpose. That's Ephesians 1, 23, which says that the church is a part of what God wanted from eternity past. Right? Part of those in Christ. Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. It says it right there. I'm just going to, I know I'm reading a lot, we've covered a lot of these verses, so I'm hoping that in your mind you know what they mean already, even if we don't read them verbatim. Sometimes we want to read verbatim, verse 10, Ephesians 3 and 10. His intent, his intent was that now, through the church, there it is right there. Remember, this was, the church is hidden. Nobody. It wasn't revealed to Israel. It wasn't revealed to Gentiles in past ages. But now, through the church, that's us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that reminds me of everything what we just read in John 17. It seems to say exactly that according to his eternal purpose, which he has accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we need, to, we need to make sure we see that along those lines. And then there's 532. Um, the scripture says, um, for this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. It was a mystery, but it's a mystery revealed. It's the mystery that was hidden from ages and past generations. It was hidden from principalities and powers that is now being revealed, not only to us, but to them as well, to all creation, all rational creation. It's being uh, God's, what was in his heart, his intention from eternity past, before he created anything, that is being revealed. Uh, we're seeing it in this mystery. So, that is important for us to understand, that it depends on us. It's already a, th a, it's already a thought that Christ finished the work and is glorified in heaven right now. He is in heaven and he's glorified. So, why can't he just come now? It's because he's continuing to call out those many sons in the glory. It is only through those sons, that's the plan, that Christ can fully be glorified. Now, when you say, well, well, Christ is glorified now, yes, he is. But that's not the only thing that uh, Christ needs. And why does he need anything in his glorified state? He needs something because it's the Father's plan for the church to come. And this is why that Ephesians 1 verse is so key, where it says, uh, 
And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. The church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He's the one who fills everything in every way, but we're the fullness of him. So what does that mean? We're going to have to talk about this fullness because we are those who are in Christ and bring about the fullness of him. So we, we should talk about what fullness is. So it helps us understand why we, uh, or why Christ is depending on us in order to receive this glory. And glory has come to me through them. So, Let's talk about fullness, and that's point J, and that's probably where we're going to spend the bulk of our, our time, thinking about this word, fullness, because that's who we are. Remember, if the disciples are the foundation of the church, which but the foundation only speaks of the establishment of the church, we are the fullness of that. In other words, that in order for it to be complete, we got to fill it up with church members or the body of Christ. That's who we are. So, so we are the fullness of the church. But really, the, what is the church? It is his body. So his body of the, is, is those who are in Christ. Well, why are we doing that in the first place? It keeps going. We keep regressing back. It's because the Father's plan was that all things would be, uh, the church, the many sons in the glory would be in Christ. That's how he would bring them. That's the part of the plan that is important. Bring many sons in the glory through the work of Christ on our behalf. Now we, we can think Christ is sitting up in heaven glorified right now, but we already saw the verse in Romans 8 that talks about that he is in heaven now interceding for us so that he's not just sitting around drinking coffee he is interceding for us he's doing work the father is working the son is working he's interceding on behalf of us and the holy spirit is working enlightening and the baptism of the spirit which is to bring those many sons into the body of Christ. All of the, all the members of the Trinity are working, and we are working as well because it is our job to make it plain, make it known to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages was kept hidden in God. It's up to us now. I like Paul's determination in this. He says he, he was certainly not worthy to be called an apostle because of his persecution of the church. But he says it is his objective. Now he's to make plain to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then he talks about to make it plain to everyone. All of this is found in Ephesians 3, 8, 9, 10. You can read it. Make it plain to everyone how this thing works. So we, we have that as the determination and the work that the apostle is doing. And what about us? Well, how can we do the work? Well, we, we may not be able to teach, you know, unless you have the gift to be able to teach, you know, the, uh, the deep things of God. But you can be an ambassador for Christ. Now, how are you an ambassador of Christ? Because then you're an ambassador of reconciliation to God. If a person is reconciled to God in this age, then they are in Christ. And if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. Old things are gone. The new has come. We've always talked about what new that is. It is kainos new. Never before seen new. Not like a new baby. New baby, well, we've seen other babies. 
It's not like, even though it's a new baby, we know babies have existed and conti will continue to exist in this world. And there will be new, but that is a different new. This kainos new in the Greek is unprecedented, never before seen, unique, novel. It's a game changer. The new creation is here. That's us. So we need to talk about us, how we have filled what this word pleroma is, because it says that that's what we are. We are the fullness of him. We want to talk about it. So I got the definition of the word. It is pleroma. This is first point under J. Pleroma. And this is some of the ways it's used in scripture. Repletion or completion. That is what fills as content, supplements, copiousness, multitude, or objectivity. What is filled? A container, performance, period. What is put in to fill up? Peace that filled up. Fulfilling, full, fullness. These are all ways the word is used in scripture. And it, it essentially, if I were to just break it down, it is like if you fill the cup uh, part of the way. Let's say it was 30% filled with water. Pleroma would say, okay, how do we fill that cup up to the full, to the brim? That's pleroma, to be filled. In other words, to, to fill up that which is deficient. If we look at something and say, oh, that, is, that cup is not filled. We've all done that. <laughs> we go to the store and then we, we get a soda or something and they don't fill it up all the way. It's halfway filled. What would we say to them? This cup is not filled. What you could say is this cup is not pleroma. And you give it back to them. You want them to put more of the whatever it was in so it could fill it up. So Christ already is glorified. But until we get glorified, he is not pleroma. He's not filled. It's not completed. He needs us in order to fulfill what the Father's plan for him is. We need Christ in order to fulfill who he is. And without us being baptized into the body of Christ, we wouldn't be able to fulfill him. Wouldn't be those many sons brought into glory. So point number two in our, in our notes, we should ask ourselves, when we see this word, that is the word play Roma, what or who is satisfied by it? Because it, to talk about filling up something uh, you know, that needs to be filled. What is, are we talking about? When we see the word in the Bible, we have to identify what or who is satisfied by it. Well, if it's a cup, the cup is satisfied by, being, by it being filled to the brim. So if it's God, how is God satisfied? We need to talk. If it's Christ, how is Christ satisfied by Pleroma? We have to ask that word. So we're going to go through some quick scriptures and Bible study here. Some thought about what it says. Point number three. We are the fullness of Christ. Now let's, it's going to go in progression here. We are the fullness of Christ. So the first scripture we already read. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his, his is Christ's feet, and appointed him, Christ, to be head over everything for the church. And then it describes what the church is, which is his body. The fullness of him. There's the word pleroma. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Obviously, in these two verses, we can see that Christ is not complete without the fullness of his body. That makes perfect sense to me. Then Ephesians 3.19 is another reference to fullness. Well, let's see. 3.19 says, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So here, 
we know that our, our filling to this, and it even talks about a standard, which is a, to the measure of the fullness or the pleroma of God. So that, now this is not just talking about us in particular, but it's talking about our understanding of the Father's plan. What, what do we mean? That you may know that together with all the Lord's people, this is in verse 18, how to, to grasp, right? And this is what it is, to grasp, to comprehend, to, to understand, to, to apprehend. In other words, not just comprehend, but to take this knowledge. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So that's what we're talking about right now. The love for Christ. And to know this love that surpasses, it goes beyond knowing. In other words, it's God the Holy Spirit has to reveal this kind of knowledge that in order that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, the pleroma of God. God wants you to know this information. It fills, it completes something in God. It satisfies something in God in order for you to know this information. Filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, now of course, that sounds like things that we can certainly not comprehend. Or, <laughs> But now in verse 20, now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. So that's the Holy Spirit. Immeasurably more. The, the Spirit is our competence, our competency, our fitness to be able to interact and know who God is. I should put that first. To know and then to interact. We can talk about fellowship with God. How can we? possibly know who God is and and understand the the uh, his mind and forming and creating all things how could we possibly know all that it's because he's given us to know through this calling and this information is now available and it is available through the church as we saw in the earlier verses in chapter 3 through through the church to principalities and powers as angelic, uh, the angelic realm, and through the Gentiles, to Jews, to everyone who is a rational being. We can know this information, what is in God's heart, what was the eternal purpose. The fullness there satisfies God. Let's keep going. And then there's uh, Ephesians 4, 12 and 13, Ephesians 4, 12 and 13 says, to, he, well, let's read 11. So, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all, reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, why would we come to the whole measure? How can that possibly be of us, that we come to the full measure of the fullness of Christ? So we're going to grow up. The pastor teacher is going to be able to teach the information for us so that we can be built up, it says, we're the body of Christ. We already determined that from the previous verse. And others, plenty others, that we may be built up. And what does that mean, built up? Till we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Fullness of Christ. Well, if we can get that, Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people 
in their deceitful scheming. We won't be that anymore because that's where a lot of people start out as infants, those who refuse to learn truth. But we, on the other hand, can learn this truth. We can know this information. This truth will build us up in the faith. It will build us up in our, our standing before God because now we will know what God is doing in detail. In detail. So that's important. So that was Ephesians 4, 12 and 13. That word fullness is used again. Let's look at a couple more places. Colossians 1, 25 through 29. Let's look at this one. Colossians. Skip over. Colossians 1, 25 through 29. Okay. 25. So we, we did we ask who that satisfies? Uh, we talked about earlier the satisfaction of God, the Father. And then this one satisfies Christ. Right? This is that we be built up to the fullness and stature of Christ. We sort of already talked about that with Ephesians 1. All right, but let's keep going in Colossians 1.25. It says, I have become its servant. Who's its? It's the church. If you look at the previous verse, it says, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to, pre to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Okay, so the word of God now is, is what is augmented so that it is filled up to the full. And it wasn't, that's to say it wasn't before. And we know it wasn't before because God hid this information in himself. We know that the world did not have this information, but it, it is a part of the revelation of God, the full revelation of God. And we have brought that. And Paul is saying the church is the ones who are the caretakers of that. Remember, it is through the church that God is making this information known to all. Through the church. This is not something just for us to, um, to talk about. It is the world needs to know this information as well. This is part of our heralding, or not only are we evangelizing the world so that they can become uh, united to the person of Christ and which becomes a new creation and so forth and so on. So it says, <clears throat> he's become a servant by the commission God gave him to present, him, present to you the word of God in its fullness. That's the word pleroma we talked about. And what is it? The mystery that we've been talking about that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Now it's disclosed. Well, what do we mean now? Well, ever since Pentecost, where the Spirit came, is he now disclosing this information to the Lord's people? It didn't happen all in one day. It was a matter of them learning and growing in this information. As it says, the Spirit, Jesus said, the Spirit would lead and guide you into all truth. It didn't say that he would give it to you all in one shot. He would lead and guide you into all truth. Verse 27, that them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Now, you know, it's interesting. Some, some people will read these verses and they will see that it refers to Christ, but they don't realize that it's referring to the fullness of Christ. Remember, it's not just about salvation here. This is about the mystery which was hidden. And Christ here represents the Father's plan to bring many sons into glory. This verse is about that. It's not about just going out and talking about the evangelizing the world. He is the one we proclaim. And when he says we proclaim, we're not just talking about salvation. 
to this end, right, this, he's the one we proclaim, admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in, in me. So there, Pleroma, what, what is satisfied by Pleroma in that verse? The word of God, the revelation of God is now complete. It's now filled up to the full. This is completely what God has given us. Or is there going to be more revelation? Is there another mystery? Maybe? No. This is it. This is it. This fills it up to the full as far as revelation is concerned. And then two, this is Colossians 2, 2 and 3. Let's quickly go over that in this uh, as we're thinking about this Paul says my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have and here it is the full riches of complete understanding <clears throat> so this is key if we're talking about revelation we are talking about revelation to the church, that's new. It says it was hidden before. Nobody had it. But now it's upon us. Right? This is what we're about. This, this information. This is what we're all about. It's, it's, about it's, it's incumbent upon us to know this information now. Not just to say, okay, well, it was revealed. But no. Here, there's a growth of understanding here. They may be encouraged in heart and united in love. They may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, even though <clears throat> all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge were hidden up to this point, but now... The, the, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are available. What do you think all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are about? They're about the Father's eternal purpose. That's what they are about. That's what we are growing in, in our understanding, and that we will have the full riches of complete understanding. And Christ the full riches, the complete understanding are called all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, there it says, in whom are hidden. <clears throat> That's where the Father deposited them, as we saw. And it takes us all the way back to Christ's verse, his saying, his prayer to the Father. All that you have is mine, and all I have yours but the, all you have is mine means that the father put all of these treasures and riches in Christ and hid them he didn't tell anybody but now he's telling us because they pertain to us <clears throat> those of us who are in Christ so that is point number three it's a lot of scriptures thanks for bearing with me through all of those we go to point number four. Christ, now let's look at him, bodily is said to be the fullness of God. Let's look at that. So that's Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Let's look at it. We're already in Colossians. Just back up to 1. And let's look at 15 through 20. <clears throat> You've read these verses before, so let's pay attention closely. That's like, don't zone out, zone in. So the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And for him. He is before all things. And in him all things, <clears throat> all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
Watch this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Hmm. So there's that word, <clears throat> pleroma. So this is to say that who's not complete here? God, the Father. He was pleased. What does it mean he's pleased? That was his will. To have all his fullness dwell in him. So, so this is to say that God the Father was not satisfied, but Christ fulfills everything that the Father wants. And when we say the Father wants, we're talking about the Father's plan. So it was the Father's plan that all things would exist in Christ and be created through him. I think we covered this another day when we talked about that before Christ had to finish, before he came here, there was a work that he was tasked to do from the Father that has to do with the eternal purpose. And we talked about that from this, a, a different standpoint, different angle, but now we're seeing it from the standpoint of fullness. And here it is, for God was pleased to have all his fullness. <clears throat> what does he mean, all his fullness? What is satisfied in the Father by having Christ do all these things that he mentioned? And even he's even talking about the head of the church, that if he was resurrected from the dead and all of that. He included it all. Because all of it is a part of the Father's eternal plan. Especially the part about, and he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He's the first person who was resurrected in human history so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Everything. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All that is a reference to his work. All of it. Yeah, so that's point. We're talking about Christ bodily. I didn't say bodily in that verse, but let's look at Colossians 2, 9 and 10. Our next verse. So, for in Christ, it says, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. When it mentions bodily, then, then we know we're talking about the, the person of Christ, but all of these acts have been done through both of the natures of Christ. So, for instance, the nature of Christ who is the word who created all things. All things were created by him and, and there was not one thing made that has not been made that he didn't make. He made it all. So that came from his deity. But also the person of Christ, it talks about in the verses we covered in Colossians 1, that he is the head of the church. That means he had to come here and that he is the firstborn from among the dead. He had to come here in this world to do those things as a human being. So from his person, both natures needed, God the Father needed both natures to be functional and operate, to satisfy his plan. So all of it is the work of Christ on our behalf. Not just his uh, preparing the disciples, but the creation of all things is on our behalf. That satisfies the Father. When it says, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. In other words, this speaks to the fact that God's eternal purpose includes not only the divine nature of Christ, which did things toward this end from eternity past and in creation, but it speaks of the human nature of Christ, which he gained, like it says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we saw his glory and as the only begotten of the Father. It includes him, him in his human relationship, right? Where he took a body and he became one of us. It is reference to that as well. 
all of it says right here in bodily form. Because even though Christ created all things, he still needed Christ to, to fulfill his plan by becoming a man, by dying on the cross, by being resurrected, and, and all of that is included in this verse. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Watch this in verse 10, which we're not even talking about us yet. But it says, And in Christ you have been given or brought to fullness. In Christ we also have fullness. Why does it say we have fullness? Because we have deity? This is something people say. I'm just echoing it. But it says we have fullness more so because we complete the Father's plan. We have been brought to fullness. Well, what, what does it satisfy? It satisfies God in all things that he's done. It need, he needed deity and humanity in one person to be able to accomplish all that the Father has uh, ordained, we could say, from eternity past. So, And we have been brought to fullness. So we have been brought to those who are in Christ because all of this revolves around the purpose of the eternal purpose of the Father. All of this. Not just his human exploits, or we could say his human resume, but his divine resume as well. We have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. We have fullness in him. We complete him. So this is why it goes on to say, and glory has come to me through them. I'm hoping I'm explaining that verse. So, so that's point five or four. In all of this, point five, the completed plan is the fullness of the Father. Now think about it this way. This is John 17, five, which you said, Christ says, and now Father, uh, Give me the glory that I had with you before the world began. So the completed plan is the fullness of the Father. If you think about it, in those verses you saw it. But what is what completes the Father's plan from eternity past is the execution of that plan in time. Time was created when Christ and his deity, who is called the Word, created all things. That's when it began to be executed. And he, he continues to execute the Father's plan by interceding for us, those, who, those sons who are being brought into glory, who are being accused. So he intercedes for us. So that's, and then if you read uh, Ephesians 3, 10, and 11, where it talks about his eternal purpose, which we've already read, I won't go back over that again, but the completed plan is the fullness of the Father's eternal purpose. So when we talk about fullness, what completes, what satisfies. Well, what satisfies the Father is his plan. Completed. And we saw that in those previous verses. Point seven, or six, sorry. Fullness is another way of understanding the prerogatives of mutual possession. When we say prerogatives, I know... I say that word, but I'm assuming everybody knows what it means. It talks about our privileges, our entitlements, our what we have as a result of our birth in Christ. So when we talk about mutual possession, it is how God executes his plan in us, how we become what he wants us to be. It has to do with the baptism of the Spirit. It's what God the only reason mutual possession is possible is because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a byproduct, a result of the baptism of the Spirit. Otherwise, we can't talk about mutual possession. It just doesn't exist all by itself. It stands on the baptism of the Spirit. So it's another way to talk about that when we talk about the rights, the privileges we have through mutual possession. We can say, well, what does mutual possession mean? 
Well, it means that I have all things that belong to the Father are mine, Christ says. They're mine. And then he says, all I have belongs to the Father. Why is all of that? Because the baptism of the Spirit is how we see it in us. We see the same type of possession, the same relationship that Christ had with the Father is parlayed into the church age and began to op be operational at Pentecost. Point number seven. Point number seven is some things to consider. We will not have the fullness until we receive our resurrection bodies. Now, okay, so this is another way to think about fullness because we're not complete, right? But something is due us to make us complete. That's the word pleroma, right? We won't have that for ourselves in this lifetime, this lifetime, in this world, until we get our resurrection bodies. Even if we die at this point, we still won't have our resurrection bodies. It not it, we will when that happens. It is all of us. Well, it will happen at once for. We will not precede them. They will not precede us. We're all going to get it at the same time. Those who are dead, that is. We will receive our resurrection bodies. This is this not only complete completes that we will have a new body. Well, we're going to get a new body. These are not the bodies we're going to uh, glorify the Father's plan in. This is not it. But also, it, it, it completes the adoption to sonship. And the adoption to sonship is where the Father wanted to have many sons in glory. And even though he started it, by all the work of the Spirit. Remember, that is a deposit. That is what we say in the next verse, the first fruits of the Spirit. We, so the next point, rather, is point eight. Is I talk about the fruits, first fruits of the Spirit. It is the deposit. That's what we're going to see in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. That the, it is the Holy Spirit. Let me just read it. Ephesians 1. 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. What is the seal? The promised Holy Spirit. That's the seal that we are marked in him, in, in Christ with. But then what is the promised Holy Spirit? This is the promised Holy Spirit. It has to do with Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit came. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That speaks the redemption of those who are God's possession. God owns us. He has deposited in us his spirit until the redemption. We have it until we get the fullness of it, like, like Paul would say in Romans 8, the redemption of our bodies, the adoption as sons, until the praise, to the praise of his glory. His glory is the Father's glory because he's the one that planned all this in the first place. The Son gets glory because he is the one who executed it in the first place. So currently, this is um, point eight. Currently, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. So we eagerly wait. So what is this first fruits of the, What is the deposit? If God has given us the Spirit, and the Spirit is enabling us to come to the knowledge, look, we can know the full measure of what God's plan is. The height, the depth, the width, the length. We can know the fullness of God's plan. Just like God knows. How? Because we have God's Spirit within us. We have been given the Spirit. There's no way anybody could possibly know this information other than what God has done through the work of the Spirit, enlightening us. So in this lifetime, we can know it. We can know what is ours. We can know what our destiny is. We can know the Father's eternal purpose in full. But it doesn't 
kick in until we get our resurrection bodies. That's what this is to say. And so what do we do? Like Paul said, so we eagerly wait for it. Romans 8.23. We also know from Romans 8 and those pre previous verses that when we do get everything that we're supposed to have, it will have universal impact. It won't just be, well, we'll shine like the glory of God. No, it'll affect the entire universe. So, point nine. Our passage says that we can know what we have been given. We can know it. But there is no limit, and there is no limitation there. I already read you the verses that talk about we have the first Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 talks about we have the deposit. Ephesians 3, 8, and 9, we're tasked to go out and tell people about the unsearchable riches of Christ. If we don't know what the unsearchable riches of Christ are, can't tell people what they are. That's our task. Paul says, my task is not only to tell the Gentiles. But then in verse 9, he says, and to make it plain to everyone, includes Jews and Gentiles, the administration of this mystery. And then, verses 17 through 19 of Ephesians 3, we already discussed that, that we to know this love. In other words, what was God's motivation in all of this? Is uh, that we may be, that we will know this love, and that we will have this knowledge to the measure of the fullness of Christ, of God. That's what it says in Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. And then Colossians 2, 2 and 3 talks about the fact that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. Now we could have the complete understanding. Yeah, not partial, complete. That is our quest that is why you're growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The knowledge. If Paul says, uh, you know, to this end I labor. To, it is him we preach and warning every man that we may present every man mature in Christ. And to this end I strenuously labor all, with all his energy, what so powerfully works in me. All of those scriptures we, we went over, hopefully, you see what the quest is. Growing in grace, growing to maturity, has to do with knowledge, assimilation of knowledge, to be able to grasp how high and long and deep and wide is the love of Christ, the motivation that started this whole thing from eternity past. You get to see it. God hid it, but now it's available. So, Point number 10, we're closing. I submit that the baptism of the Spirit allows, uh, it is, is that we are identified with the person of Christ. What the baptism of the Spirit allows is that we are identified with the person of Christ. In that relationship, notice, we share all that he is and has. Christ is God. He's glorified man and one person forever. It'd be one thing to say, well, we share the glorified humanity of Christ. No, we share the person of Christ. It is the persons of the Father and Christ that actually can dwell in us that we, through the baptism of the Spirit, have access to. All things are mine that they have, and all I have is theirs. Christ says, glory has come to me through them. Point K, and this will close us out on this thought. The glory of the Father and the Son depend on us, the church. Quote, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Much more could be said. We will close it at this point and we will resume next week. Hopefully this discussion is not something that we will soon 
uh, depart from, but that we can use it to grow in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of the call, the sovereign call that brought us to this age and our uniting to the person of Christ. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, your motivation that we now see very clearly. And we thank you for those who are here that are listening to these words. We pray for them. We pray for the church here in the world that this is the job that we have. This is the task that we could fulfill that task. And we all come to unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. So we thank you, Father, for this. We pray that you will bring us back next week so we can continue to hear more. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.